Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I am joined by Justin Bowie and Derek Healy for a closer look at this week's big problem. Imagine for a minute that you are Hamza Yousaf. You've inherited a party and a leadership campaign in which you were slated by some of your high-profile colleagues. You win anyway, with the blessing of the outgoing leader, who at the worst possible time finds herself in the midst of a police inquiry into party's finances. That's your party's finances. The SNP's recently resigned chief executive, your party boss, is the first to be questioned. He's Nicola Sturgeon's husband, for those that need reminding. Then the former treasurer is taken in for the same questioning. Finally, Miss Sturgeon is questioned. She then turns up in Parliament on the week of the big indie convention in Dundee, where she's asked questions about whether she's a distraction. And then, then the First Minister has to argue uh, to save the SNP Green Deal in government, basically, while Tories try to undermine Green Government Minister Lorna Slater, who's been blamed by opponents for the failure to launch a recycling scheme. A crazy situation, which of course is the subject of Stushy's past, his own backbencher and former government colleague Fergus Ewing is seriously testing Hamza Yousaf's authority as well by rebelling at every turn. And on Thursday, as we covered in full online, Winnie Ewing, that poster woman for the SNP's amazing ascent, has died aged 93. This is just a glimpse into the SNP's week. We've not even got to Keir Starmer coming to Leith to launch an energy strategy which appears to have culminated in a former Aberdeen Labour leader quitting the party. Derek Healy, have I missed anything? In that quick recap. No, I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? I mean, what a remarkable week. And then all, all, all this going on, leading into this big indie conference on Saturday, which is supposed to be, it's been framed as this event to shape the way forward of the Scottish independence. And you've got all these huge, big moments happening in the days leading up to it. But right now, I mean, it feels like for the SNP, every week has been like this. Mm. Since um, Peter Murrow's arrest, has just been, you know, huge event after huge event, yeah. monumental moment after monumental moment. And yeah, it's going to be an interesting conference on Saturday, I think. Yeah, well, just to set the scene, we are looking behind the curtain a little bit here with a week in review. We're recording right now, one day before the Independence Convention at the Caird Hall in Dundee. This is a, a delayed get-together, which was actually set in train by Nicola Sturgeon when she was uh, First Minister and SNP leader. That was all put on pause while the, the leadership campaign happened. And of course, it's billed as a way for the party to try and thrash out an agreed route to an independence referendum, which has been blocked at every single turn by the UK government and other events. So they've sort of painted themselves into a corner in a few things. The Supreme Court's got involved. We, we talk about making the next election uh, a single issue vote on independence and you know they've tried to have a, a route to the Scottish Parliament having a referendum that was killed by the Supreme Court UK government will not uh, even talk really uh, about giving the Scottish government or the Scottish Parliament the power to rerun a referendum along the lines of 2014 like David Cameron did so with all that going on and the party meeting in Dundee what can they do Justin you're going to be in the Caird Hall on Saturday, um, we won't talk about what's you know going to come from it too much. But in the run up to it, does the party leadership have any hope to actually get a decision? I mean, they can make a decision on how they want to try and pursue a referendum. But in terms of obtaining a referendum, no, probably not. The UK government have said no. The SNP leadership maintain that they need a legal route to a referendum. So 
yeah, it's deadlocked. There's no way they can really get that right now. And, you know, during the leadership campaign, Hamza Yousaf talked about building that base of support, trying to increase that base of support. The problem is SNP polling has not been great for the party. Independence polling's okay. It's a bit stronger generally than, you know, polling for the SNP at this point. But yeah, it's been described obviously by some, you know, in our own coverage as a talking shop. And to be honest, that's all it's going to be. Unless there's some huge revelation, unless Hamza Yousaf mm. has some secret up his sleeve, then yeah, it's just difficult to see how this is really going to move things forward. And some within the party clearly agree. Yeah. And we will have full coverage, of course, um, by the time you probably are listening to this uh, online and we will revisit. But first point, we should we should point out at this moment that we, we did invite uh, SNP politicians on to speak about this and put their, their views forward about what they think is the route to a referendum, but no one was available. Let's get to grips with the challenges here. Uh, let's do it chronologically. So the week got off to a start on Monday with Hamza Yousaf relaunching a series of independence papers. So it's a good start for him for a week which is going to aim at a convention. Now, I dislike cynicism, Justin, so I will leave it to you to tell us how it went because you were there in Glasgow to hear from your, hear for yourself. What, what was Hamza Yousaf talking about? What was the point of this independence paper? So this followed on from Nicholas Sturgeon, obviously, last year unveiled a sort of series of independence papers, essentially outlining you know a vision for an independent Scotland we obviously had these visions in 2014, but the thing is, a lot's changed since then. We've had Brexit, we've had a pandemic, we've had a war in Ukraine. There's just so many things that have happened since that last referendum. So there was perhaps a recognition that that prospectus had to be updated a bit to, you know, recognise changed circumstances. So this was the latest paper. Now, obviously, it's been outlined by Hamza Yousaf in that. And it talked a lot about the constitution and, you know, what, what Scotland would look like after independence. You, you know, how would, what sort of constitution would Scotland have? So Hamza Yousaf's idea is that we'd essentially vote on this. So Scotland would be an independent nation and then it would be up to the people to decide key things. For example, would we have a monarchy? The SNP's stance, despite Hamza Yousaf being a Republican, has often been that we would retain the monarchy immediately after independence. But Hamza Yousaf pointed out, if the people of Scotland wished to not have a monarchy, that's something that they could decide. So there was a bit of a vision there. There, you know, he's he's very much thinking ahead. The problem is, of course, that the moment after he outlines this, it gets bogged down by, well, what about the latest with Nicola Sturgeon? What about, you know, it's it's all well and good to have these grand visions in terms of policies and how you want Scotland to be run. But but what's your route to actually achieving that? Hamza Yousaf, you know, to be less cynical, you know, he pointed out that you know he you know, he was elected for a party that wants to get an independence referendum. He is somebody who supports independence, and from his point of view, these discussions, even if they're not immediate, are going to be important. You know, he wants to think ahead as to not just should Scotland be independent because obviously he thinks yes. He wants to think ahead to what would that independent Scotland look like. Yeah. Again, though, the problem is there's just no obvious route to achieving that right now, and it all feels a little bit in vain, perhaps. Yeah, it, the thing is that, I mean, we could have been having this conversation 10 years ago about elements of the SNP's white paper for independence, the big doorstopper of a book that was put around everyone before the, the 2014 referendum. In it, it had a part about a written constitution. It feels like we're 
going back to some old favourites there, and he's maybe trying to get people just to go beyond a referendum and just make independence seem the natural state of things. We're talking about the building blocks of what to do after a yes vote, rather than getting to the yes vote, which is the problem. Yeah, we have what? How many papers have we had now? There's been a few. The, the first one was a scene setter. I think the, that was the fourth. The fourth, yeah, and with a hiatus in the middle as well. Well, all kinds of stuff went on. Um, we we don't know I mean, opponents of independence and a lot a lot of people who who want to support it but don't feel able will continue to ask questions about currency and about pensions and all the things which probably too many on the pro independence side just shout down by saying that's just better together nonsense but they're they're questions that keep being asked when are we going to get those papers do you think justin did he say anything about what to expect on an economic prospectus a currency uh, plan that people believe in those kind of things no not a lot to be honest the event felt very much focused on this particular paper and i, th I think that's been one difficult aspect of this for hamza yusuf coming into the job this series of papers was obviously started by Nicola Sturgeon and the fact that they were put on hold and, you know, since they were put on hold, you've had a resignation, a really tough leadership contest, you know, fallouts, rebellions, arrests. There's just, just been so much that's happened since then. And I, I, I think when you're outlining this type of thing as a series, you want it to feel continuous. You, when you watch a TV show, you, you know, there's an episode every week. You know, the idea is that it's a continuous sort of series of something at a very set time. The problem with this does feel a, bit, a little bit like it's every so often the government's a bit like, go on then, we've managed to rattle this up now and here's another paper for you. And I think that's the issue for a lot of people. You know, I remember back to when this series started and a lot of it was involved in, you know, comparing Scotland to other you know, independent nations in Europe, so Ireland and Denmark, you know, yeah. other kind of similarly sized nations. But a lot of it felt like this is less about the actual nitty gritty of either the economic case or are we going to have borders with England or how is this going to work in terms of, you know, certain things? It didn't really feel like actually making the proper case yeah. for independence. Like, we all know what Ireland's economy is like. We all know what Denmark's economy is like. But how is Scotland going to get to that position? And I think that's what a lot of undecided people don't really feel has been answered yet. Do you yeah. know, I think one of the problems here is as well, you know, in terms of these indie papers, they have sort of two jobs. One is to grab the public's attention and say, you know, here are the big selling points for independence. Here's what you want your future to look like. Didn't feel like there's anything hugely mm -hmm. attention grabbing. I didn't see this big kind of public reaction to this indie paper. Um, and you suppose like the other thing you're looking to do is say, well, here here is the sort of concrete case. Like here is here is set out really really clearly what we're going to do and how it's going to work. And I don't think it does that either because again we still have these huge big questions. I think there's you know, independence voters won't like this phraseology, but you know, that this idea of now is not the time. <laughs> now is probably the time to be getting that case really concretely set out and say this is exactly what it's going to look like if that's the route forward. I didn't really feel like this launch did either of those things. I think that's a problem. There's maybe something in that though that the we've talked about this before, the vote for independence and support for for a yes vote. It's it's stayed pretty buoyant. Ben. It's not it's not um, fallen back particularly. The polls, you know, inch up and inch down. But the, the SNP's polling has dipped. There is probably something to be said for the party government trying to take out the the idea that one party will inherit the nation afterwards. And almost they've stepped back to the point where they just allow you to paint a, a, 
is a blank canvas, you know, make of an independent Scotland what you will. We'll, we'll get there and then sort it out. But then shades of Brexit and that, you know, do you, you step back and just basically say, here's a blank piece of paper, vote for it, and then we'll suddenly deal with all the problems after. That's that's the, the big downside of perhaps the way that we're now looking at it. Well, one MP talked to me last week saying that when the Supreme Court ruling came through, that that was something that was discussed. Like, do we just dissolve the Scottish Parliament and have an election, run it as a de facto referendum, um, and then after that, do we then just say, okay, as soon as it's decided, we'll then have another election and discuss the agile business of, of government and how we go about those kind of things? Um, so, I mean, th those, are, those are the kind of big questions that have been discussed in the past. That's what's going to be discussed this weekend as well. Um, yeah. I think the worry that people have is that it's, there's not, it's going to be you know, a talking shop that there's a phrase we've heard being used. There's going to be a lot of infighting, but it does feel like there's a block. It doesn't really feel like there is a clear way forward right now. If we're talking about distractions uh, and, and, and blocks, there was there was something else in the Scottish Parliament uh, later, later in the week. So Tuesday, Nicola Sturgeon came along, I think wanted to sort of clear the air a little bit. She obviously knew that a week had passed since that she was uh, arrested and then released without charge after being questioned by police as part of this probe into SNP finances. She has been very clear uh, in recent weeks to say on the record that she is absolutely convinced of her. She's done no wrongdoing, totally innocent, um, and she's always just wanting to help police with inquiries. Every time anything happens like that, all the cameras point to Nicola Sturgeon, the former First Minister, and Hamza Youssef looks like a man who's, who's struggling to get to the front again i think the 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 idea was that by turning up in parliament letting the mics and cameras all face her and just addressing the media head on would get that pushed to the side but i don't know if that particularly worked um all the questions were about her being a distraction all the questions were about whether she uh should leave the party even just suspend her own membership while this probe is going on hamza yousaf has has maintained this idea that she's done nothing wrong because she says she's done nothing wrong and there's no reason to suspend the whip as they say while this is going on a lot of people even in the party have begged to differ on that one she's always going to be a distraction because this is happening but there's not really anything she can do about that there's not really anything Hamza can do about that either I mean she's she's just gonna have to cope with it was it a good idea for Nicola Sturgeon to to come and face the music on Tuesday should she just step back I suppose there's a sense that she perhaps had to do it at some point. When she stepped down as First Minister, she obviously maintained that she was going to continue being an MSP. And I think that's sometimes a thing that voters quite like. You know, you think people like Theresa May and Gordon Brown, former Prime Ministers who went onto the back benches and continued working for their constituents. So the problem for Nicola Sturgeon is if she just sort of stays away from Parliament, she's then perhaps seen as, well, is she doing her day job? Is she representing her constituents in Holyrood? Which... It's never a job as a backbencher. So she's still an elected politician. She has to do her job as yeah. an elected politician, despite you know the difficult circumstances. So I suppose from her perspective, there's maybe a sense of if she's in parliament, she's going to have to deal with the questions that are coming her way. I, th I think it worked for her to some extent previously as well, didn't it? Because you know when she was arrested and um, you know we saw some of the headlines of the online articles that day and it was, you know, Nicola Sturgeon arrested and then it was calls from Nicola Sturgeon to be suspended and she came out and posted a statement on Twitter and all of the front pages the next day were, you know, Nicola Sturgeon, I am absolutely certain I'm innocent and 
probably changed the tone of some of that coverage that we saw the next day. So coming out and doing that as as a media strategy, I think, to some extent. But in terms of returning to Parliament, I mean, I agree with Justin. I, I don't. There's not much else you can do. I mean, she has to come back. She has an MSP. She's not leaving right now. So, you know, she is going to have to come back to Parliament at some point. She knows there's going to be questions there. She knows that people want to hear what she has to say. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure what other options there are. There, there is other than mm, to yeah. just tackle it head on. Well, another distraction, something that happened uh, later on that same day on Tuesday, Fergus Ewing, former SNP government minister and now rebel rouser-in-chief, sided with the Conservatives in a vote of confidence in government minister Lorna Slater. Now, without getting too complex about it, she is in government as one of two Green MSPs. That's because of the deal between the SNP and Greens to cooperate on common ground. Like, for example, setting up a simple recycling deposit return scheme. Um, So, did I say simple, Derek? It's not simple. It's not simple at all. This is all about the... uh, the glass element, which was vetoed by the UK government because they want a common UK scheme, but they haven't got a common UK scheme. And the Scottish government just thought, please, can we just have a recycling scheme? The industry went a bit bananas. Lots of people are out of pocket. The people behind the scheme are basically losing their jobs. And we're back to square one. And Lorna Slater's getting the blame for everything, it would seem. What's happened here? <laughs> How did we get to the point where this is happening and a former government minister is um, voting against having any confidence in a government minister for one of his own policies, which was, let's not forget, begun by the SNP? I mean, who would have thought that Fergus Ewan would become part of the awkward squad? <laughs> I certainly wouldn't have had that in my big card for this year. Um, oh. Very, very interesting. I mean, Fergus Ewan, I think, would say that he has spent a really long time speaking to businesses and raising the alarm about that and warning and trying to say to Lorna Slater and other people in the government that there are problems down the tracks. Um, so I think he feels very, very strongly about this. Um, one aspect that I think is quite interesting is that from people I've spoken to, I mean, they've framed the decision for Nicola Sturgeon to stay in the party after the things we've just discussed, her arrest, um, as being a sort of weakness and leaving Hamza Yousaf really open to potential problems down the line. Um, this has also been framed as as a weakness on Hamza Yousaf's part because it's hard to imagine this happening when Nicola Sturgeon was first minister. To have someone as high profile as Fergus Ewan speaking in this way, um, you know, there's been talks that he, he might be, I mean, have the whip removed, you know, maybe kind of suspended from the party or whatever for doing this. Um, it's in, it's incredible to see somebody like Fergus Ewan coming out and and being so direct in his condemnation of, of Lorna Slater and what's been happening. So, yeah, it's a real mess. And again, it's another mess going into this conference, really. Um, it's a very poor look mm. for the government. Well, it's it's about um, authority as well here, because Hamza Yousaf, um, he, he, his authority is being tested <laughs> by a former government minister who knows that there's a lot of support behind him. Um, many unsaid, I think and he's going to have to now try and look like the man in charge uh, in front of membership who are impatient and don't feel that they've perhaps been levelled with. Um, They've been marched up the hill and marched straight back down again many, many times. Um, And, of course, he's got the decisions to be made about Nicola Sturgeon. He's been clear on that. So what does he do? You know, he's got to stamp his authority somehow. I mean... The, the timing of this is not ideal, probably because there's there's some way to go on his uh, 
actions towards Fergus Ewing. But it does feel like this is a man who has had his authority tested quite, quite in, in a tough way in the past few days. Um, we'll see how that pans out. It also comes, it also comes in the back of a number of big scale SNP projects that they haven't been able to go over the line. I'm thinking of like an agenda recognition reform act. Yeah. Um DRS is probably the next one that's been, you know, a really big high profile policy that's been discussed. Um it's not got over the line. And then you've got your own like a high profile backventures causing causing issues with it as well. So I mean, it is an extremely difficult time for the SNP right now with with these different elements yeah. going on. All right, well, things turned um, away from party politics, constitutional rows and the, the rest of it on Thursday with the death of Winnie Ewing. That's Fergus's mother. Um, you covered this, Justin, um, comprehensively online. It's in today's papers. Most people listening to this will have some knowledge of Winnie Ewing, I imagine, but for anyone not immersed in Scottish political history, we should explain why is she, why she is so pivotal and held up as such a poster woman for the SNP, Justin. Bring us up to speed with Winnie. So yeah, Winnie Ewing is obviously seen as an icon of the SNP. She first came to prominence in 1967 when she won a shock by-election for the SNP in Hamilton. At the time, the SNP had had elected representatives, but were still seen as very much a, a fringe party. They hadn't had a lot of success. This win was an absolute shock for the party. And while Winnie Ewing did lose the seat in the next election a couple of years later, she was then soon back in Westminster again as MP for Murray and Nairn. And she really kick-started that sense of the SNP being represented at Westminster, which then you know, gave them a bigger outlet. It meant they had kind of names who were recognisable on a national scale. She was then an MEP for 20 years in Brussels and, of course, um, just became known as Madame Ecos over there, which is known as a... You know, sorry, it's French for Mrs. Scotland. She was then an MSP as well in Holyrood, so she opened the Scottish Parliament and, of course, you know, had that kind of famous declaration that the Scottish Parliament was reconvening for the first time since the 1700s. Mm. So, yeah, she was very much seen, I suppose, as the mother of the SNP in many ways. And it was interesting that for all the division you have within the independence movement and within the SNP, Everybody within the party was very complimentary to her. You know, Nicola Sturgeon, Hamza Yousaf, Alex Salmond, all citing her not only as an influential figure within the SNP, but perhaps a formative figure. You know, somebody who, without her success back in the 1960s and 1970s, the party we know as the SNP today may not have existed. So in that sense, um, very mm. much on you know, an end of an era and for the party a very sad day yesterday. Absolutely. And there were there was a, a real outpouring of some some warm words for a woman who clearly had an, an enormous impact on the direction of, of the politics that we are discussing right now. Um, when she was elected, I can't imagine that they thought that, you know, someone like Alex Samwood would end up taking the country to, you know, a, an inch away from independence and, it, and we're still talking about it now. I mentioned at the start here as well that it's not just about the SNP. Labour have had a, a big part in this week's twists and turns. I was in Leith uh, earlier this week to hear from Sir Keir Starmer. This was on Monday. Uh, how he wants to chart a move to renewable energy away from fossil fuels. This is a, a subject which has gripped the SNP and everyone else as well. He wants to um, set a course as a, a prime minister in waiting with a vision to move us from oil and gas to renewable future. There's much, I think, personally, to be to be lauded in this. And frankly, who else is coming up with any 
blueprint to try and get off this kind of treadmill, but in setting a course away from oil and gas, while not being in power and not answering all the questions, everyone's attention turns to the here and now. How do we end high-earning offshore jobs and invent new renewable industries while stopping everyone panicking about their jobs? There was a lot of mention of staying clear of a a Thatcher-style legacy where she ended coal and that was that. Nothing there to fill the vacuum. Keir Starmer's getting a lot of stick for the same kind of thing. And the big thorny problem is Aberdeen, the HQ for oil and gas in this country. The optics weren't good going to Leith instead of Aberdeen, I would say. I mean, not personally, just judging on the, the reaction. And from the start, Sir Keir and Scottish Labour leader Anas Sarwar were having to defend that decision. How's this played out through the week, Justin? I know you were looking at um, some of the conversations happening around the Scottish Parliament. It, it blew up at First Minister's questions, for example. Well, perhaps the biggest development in all of this from you know a kind of press and journal perspective certainly was the resignation of veteran Labour councillor Barney Crockett. He left the party and he is, you know, it's a former Labour council leader, a former provost in Aberdeen as well. And he described the policy, quite a striking description from him. He said the policy was essentially worse than anything Margaret Thatcher had done to industrial communities in the 1980s. So a stinging rebuke there from him. Mm. There was definitely a lot of anger at the fact this wasn't done in Aberdeen. And I think also the fact that um, Keir Starmer very much defected to, um, sort of deferred, sorry, to Anna Sauer on some of the questions relating closer to Scotland. I think a lot of this maybe alludes to an issue of trust. And when you harken back to, you know, the Margaret Thatcher policies of the 1980s, there's perhaps a tension there where Keir Starmer is trying to announce a sort of UK-wide energy policy that works for the whole of the UK, but that Aberdeen is very much going to be a focal point of no matter what happens, because it is the city of oil and gas. The SNP have said that as they move away from that, they want it to make the centre of renewable energy as well. Hamza Yousaf cited Barney Crockett during First Minister's questions and hit out at Labour over the policy. But the irony here is that SNP and Labour have very, very similar policies on this. They both back a move away yeah. from oil and gas. They are both very sceptical of new oil and gas projects. They both want to move towards renewable energy. And it's interesting how there's just sort of a different framing from either party. The SNP are arguing that, you know, Labour are out of touch with Scotland, too Westminster focused. Um, you know, the SNP say they're more focused on what they call a just transition. But then Labour will say that, you know, the money in that just transition is sort of a drop in the ocean compared to what they can, you know, put in themselves. They argue that they have the power of the UK Treasury they can invest a lot more money than the SNP. They can have a UK-wide plan as well. But then the SNP will say that, you know, well, that's what you know the Conservatives in the 1980s would have argued that they could make, you know, a move away from coal work for everybody. Mm-hmm. It wasn't quite as simple as that. And I think, yeah, it comes back to that central issue of trust. I think a lot of oil and gas workers in the Northeast just don't really trust that, you know, as we move away from oil and gas, the jobs are going to be there for them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's been a difficult week for Labour, but maybe for Keir Starmer, he would rather just sort of pull off the bandage now, get it over with and deal with what he has to deal with after that. Some of the problem there, I think you, you, you're you're kind of talking about it. It's, it's nobody ends up particularly enthused. You've got an industry that does quite well out of oil and gas and their concerns about, well, if we stop exploring now, we'll, we'll just be reliant on imports and we'll cede more ground to other people. And, and you just have to look at Russia. Um, to think, well, there's a big bogeyman there. And then 
On the other hand, by saying, well, no, we'll continue to take a bit of oil and gas and we won't just rip the bandage off, a slightly more um, enthusiastic green lobby feel that they're not really getting the renewable bandage ripped off because there's still going to be oil and gas. So you, you we're kind of falling between two stools a little bit. Uh, Derek, I mean, you've been watching this too. I mean, is that the problem for Labour and the SNP in particular? I know we're not talking about the Conservatives here much, but Labour and the SNP, they have got the same kind of problem. Are they trying to be everything to everyone and then just annoying everyone? I, I think Justin's point is spot on. I mean, I think they're incredibly close in terms of their policies. Um, I think it was a huge misstep, huge misstep for Keir Starmer not to come to Aberdeen. And and the reason for that is basically because, you know, there are no easy answers on this. Whatever you're doing, it's going to be difficult and complicated and detailed, and it's going to need a really thought-out plan. So you're, you've got to come to the area that's going to be most affected mm-hmm. by it and explain to people and take questions. And, you know, let's, let's be really about this. Keir Starmer is trying to frame himself as an ex-Prime yeah. Minister. And that's obviously what any opposition leader is going to do. Are probably not that far away from an election. They really need to be buttoned up on this and have really clear answers to these kind of questions. Um, so yeah, I think I think it was an absolutely huge mistake. I mean, look, it's difficult. It is difficult because not only do you have the climate kind of pressures on this and and trying to address these concerns while keeping you know a really important industry happy and making sure that you don't have this generational fallout. Um, on top of that, you do also have a problem with um, finances. Like this, this is the problem we saw just the other week with Labour in terms of what they're going to do. This big green transition idea. Where's that money going to come from? Because you know the country's not in a great state right now. The cost of living is going through the roof. There's all these sorts of problems. So trying to create these big schemes and these big projects to transition an industry away. It's very, very difficult, and it's also like, how do you commit to that? So I think we're, we're seeing that problem for all of the parties and, and how to address this. But again, that's that's all well and good, and I think most people are pretty reasonable and understand that. But then to just avoid having the conversation with the people it actually affects is a terrible look. Yeah. Terrible look. Okay, well, on that note, that's it for this week. Thanks to Justin Bowie, Derek Healy, producer Marvin McIntyre, and of course, to you for listening. We'll be back next week for our end of term special before we all just float off into a nice, calm summer where nothing can possibly happen, not like last summer when everything happened. And in the meantime, you can pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, Sunday Post and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.